Most investments carry risk, but there's one that is all upside. The only risk-free investment is an investment in yourself. The Globe and Mail is the largest business newsroom in Canada, interpreting and unpacking macroeconomics, housing, policy decisions, and world events. Enjoy a comprehensive suite of business newsletters, breaking news, and market updates straight to your inbox. As a subscriber to the Globe and Mail, you'll get access to investor tools like advanced charting, portfolio with the Wellscope report card, providing independent six-factor review of your portfolio, and stock screener to help you find the right investments. The Globe and Mail is offering a special digital subscription rate just for Looney Hour listeners. For a limited time, get access for $75 a year for your first year. For more details, visit globeandmail.com slash podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 71. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management and Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Rich, what's going on, buddy? No flowers in the background today. I know. It's, I, I, I threw them away because uh, of, uh, and in my anti-Valentine's Day, uh, um, you know, my, anti, uh, my anti-Valentine's Day act was to throw away the flowers there you go i also got a haircut and in this country uh, all the barbers think that everyone all the patrons want to be footballers so now i feel like i have a have a european footballer soccer haircut which i don't think i like very much but other than that all is well all is well yeah, bring the bring the fro back <laughs> it'll take a while we'll get there Keith? rich how is the aussie accent can you do one no i can't do an aussie accent sadly uh, uh, but yeah, so he's, no, good. You know, there's some great people from Australia. I've met some really lovely people recently from Australia. I know, so. yeah. There, there's there's a ton known that way. Um, so the, the funny thing over here and on my side, uh, this was Valentine's week, of course. And uh, so which which meant I went out for dinner with, with one of my school friends who was passing through town. <laughs> So two of us are out for dinner at this uh, restaurant. It's just couples everywhere. Like flowers are literally being delivered, and they're sharing desserts with you know one spoon and and stuff. And and it's my friend Glenn and I were just sitting down and just having a ball. And uh, of course, which makes you ask, like, what about Mrs. Icecap? How does she feel about that? And uh, she, you know, she was thinking, hey, I should have been there too, right? Going to hang out with Glenn. But that's what happens when you're you know, when you have this, this powerful connection for years on end, you don't need to have one special. When you're yeah. old, that's what happens when you're old. <laughs> yeah. So you don't need to go all... seeking, you know, this one special night or anything. It's, it's all the there. days that you guys decided to go for dinner. Do you guys pick the, the 14th? Yeah. Well, he was actually flying through. We, we had a, we had a snowstorm here this week. So his, all the flights got pushed out. So he, he had, uh, he got laid over here in the city. So that's effectively what happened but uh yeah i had a real nice romantic dinner with glenn where'd you guys go red robin applebee's kelsey's we like the swiss chalet i like the quarter chicken dinner you get the toblerone bar at at christmas anyway steve what about you what do you got going on over there i you know not much just uh lando 
Yeah, I'm just uh, heading, heading to Ca- uh, Los Cabos for a wedding uh, on Saturday. So looking forward to that, getting out of here. But, uh, you know, continue to to watch with, you know, amazement of the, the housing market here. Um, you know, it continues to sort of snap back. Uh, so, again, very, very odd. Uh, it's a very, very challenging market to get a, a real strong grasp on. Um I think it's much too early to draw these sort of conclusions, but it's, it has, you know, it's crazy just to see, you know, if you had a listing, you might get 30 groups through an open house now, whereas, you know, the same listing you had, you listed it two, three, four months ago, you might've had five groups through. So people are back, they're out there looking, they're seeing stuff going into multiple offers. Uh, Really strange. I'm surprised that people are actually even willing to compete uh, given that mortgage rates are still in the fives, they really haven't changed a whole lot. So, but we're going to jump into some of the national housing figures as we always get them uh, mid month here. But Steve, I know what happened with, with the market. You, when you call the bottom there a few weeks back, <laughs> like you're the market mover. Everyone said, Oh, wow. We better, we better get in now. Right. I so wish that's... I had that power, but I, uh, I certainly do not. But yeah, it, Steve I, is, again, Steve I... is clipping one percent on every single <laughs> national transaction now. That's right. Oh, that'd be pretty nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you look at the uh, so we you know we were looking at the January statistics that came out from the Canadian Real Estate Association here. Um, you know, keep in mind that last January was a uh, really you know from a base effect perspective. You know, January was almost the peak, so February the the market peaked out last February, but uh, January was rip roaring. So the comps are obviously uh, very difficult to beat. So if you look at your MLS home price index, your national house price index, it was down twelve point six percent on a year over year basis. Um, that's that's the steepest decline on record, uh, you know, since the index was created. So the worst year-on-year change uh, was March of 09. So it had dropped 8.9% on a year-over-year basis. So we're now at 12.6. That February number, I can tell you, is going to look really ugly. So you could be looking at like year-over-year changes uh, of about 15% in February. Uh, And it doesn't really matter if you use the home price index or if you're using... Uh, you know, the seasonally adjusted average sales price, which goes back to 1989, um, February 2022. So this this is going to be the worst de- decline uh, on record going back to 1989. So we are in the depths or at least have been in the depths of the Canadian housing bear market. It's not much of a bear market. If you no, I mean, if you're thinking, if you compare it to what happened in the U.S. or in Ireland or in Spain or um, even in the U.K. in 20, you know, 15, 2016, yeah. I mean, is that because is that because of the crazy population growth numbers we have? Is it is it because so much so many of the households have already paid off lots of their debt, or is it because maybe the, the listings like we aren't getting the volume, and once you don't get the volume, the the price discovery isn't as as clear. The volume for sure. I mean, like this, I mean, like you look at sales are running at like 10 year lows, right? Across the country now adjust for population. That's, that's pretty ugly. Right. Uh, And new listings are kind of running in, in, in parallel to that. So yeah, to your point, like there's not a ton of turnover. It's, It's pretty hard to ask the seller to reduce their price when there's, when the seller doesn't have any competition on the market. So, um, and that's why I said like, you know, you're, that's why you get 30 people at an open house, 
because everybody just shows up to the same one listing that got listed for that week. And, and so it ends up with four offers on, on the offer date. So yeah, really strange market because like I said, given where interest rates are at, the levels of debt, you would expect maybe a little bit more pain, but I don't know. I mean, I know we're coming off this like insane, I mean, let's call it what it was insane bubble in the housing market um, blow off top of last year. But I mean, Hey, we're down, Essentially, we're down 15% nationally. And it's there's bigger markets in you know suburban Ontario, suburban BC that are off 25 to 30 percent. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's only I mean, I think it is a bear market if you've been exposed to this bear market. So if you if you bought something a year or two years ago, you're saying, Oh man, this this is really tough. Um, someone who's been a long time homeowner, they're, you know, they're probably aware of it, but you know, you don't care too much about it. So yeah. like Steve said, it's people who are in the game right now. So you're in the game from either two years ago to today, or you want to get in the game and like anecdotal, um, you know, stories and narratives and whatever you want to call it. Uh, like we're, we're seeing a lot of people, like they're just waiting on the sideline. They got cash built up and they're, they're ready. To, they're waiting to buy. So maybe uh, maybe that low is in, that trough is in. But I keep yeah. going back, though. That all yeah. that so far has just been driven by rates. That, that That's all it's been. Yeah, good if point. If we get the recession that, you know, some of us have been talking about for a while, and it, it hasn't come yet. But uh, if, if that happens, then you could really see, you know, a, a big thud come down well that's what yeah, that's, you, a, you, that's, that's what ron butler said right that's what that's what ron butler said right he said that employment 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 are the three most important um considerations when looking at sort of um like the real sort of long-term viability of a, of a housing market hopefully i didn't screw that up but sorry we're Steve, gonna go get ahead. we're gonna get into the job market too because there was some data that came out but uh just a quick recap on the uh last little bit on the housing front here um, so if you guys want to quickly break it down by sort of larger metros, metro areas, um, so home price index change on a year-over-year basis. So Canada, again, down 12.6%. Toronto leads the pack down 142 uh, Ottawa down 107 Vancouver down 6, 6.6. Montreal, 5.5. Edmonton down 3.6. And the sole outlier, again, continues to be Calgary. Up 6.1. Bit surprised uh, that that market has been as resilient as it has been. But uh, so that's where we're at. And then, you know, the next, I guess, shoe to drop is going to be what happens with the employment side. Um, And so, you know, we talked, we talked about it last week. Um, The estimate was supposed to be, you know, the economist uh, consensus estimates were 15,000 for the month of what, January. And Keith, you know, you had joked about on the show that said, you know, watch the random number generator spit out, you know, 10 times, 10 times estimates. And that was actually right on the screws. We ended up with 150,000 jobs created uh, in this country for the month of January. Of course, that sent yields higher. It uh, removed uh, markets pricing and rate cuts. Uh, for 2023, so those have now been taken off the table. So, I guess just your initial reaction, Keith, after the uh, the jobs numbers came out. <laughs> well, there were there were two reactions to it. One was, you know, holy smokes, like it was a a blistering number. 
because because again they have the estimate at fifteen thousand and it's one hundred and fifty thousand. At first point, you're thinking, okay, maybe that there's a, a extra zero just added by mistake or, or something to that effect. But that was the number. Uh, markets didn't know how to react initially. They they weren't acting dovish. You know, they were like, oh wow. So then it comes back. It's funny. I think I sure like I was I was communicating with one of the big banks on the economic side. And, um, you know, they get all the data and, you know, but they, I didn't get the sense that they were too, they, they weren't sensitive to the estimate being so much lower than the actual number. And they weren't trying to defend one or the other. I, like, I don't think they cared too much, really. You know, they'll just move on now to, to the next month. Because, uh, you know, there will be a, another big revision coming up to this 150 number. But, uh, you know, it's, so there's two trains of thought with that number. One is that it's not a real number. It, it's weak somehow. And people are trying to find out why it is weak. And then the other side is saying, you know what? It's a strong economy. Uh, you know, all jobs are not equal. But when you get the aggregate number increasing by so much, which, which is something that Rich has been spot on with, you know, recently, um, you know, maybe that's what's driving everything higher. I think most of the jobs in the services sector, I think, Rich, well, you, well, you'll share with us. But uh, so it's coming back now to the Bank of Canada, which once again, they're in an awkward position. Can you ever think of a, of a central banker being awkward? Have you ever seen that before? Well, I mean, can I, can I say my piece? They're going to raise rates again. <laughs> so I beat you to it, Keith. I'm going to call it right now. Uh, that's the worst possible thing that could happen to Tiff is for him to take a victory lap. And then before he gets to the bench to squirt a bit of water into his mouth and, uh, clean off his visor, uh, he is basically going to have to raise rates again. I think that that's, I'm going to call it right now, <laughs> whether it's because of inflation or whatever, what's going on in the U S we'll talk about that later. Uh, what do you think that is rich? Because of population growth. No, I think so you when, have, when, 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 oh, think... sorry, excuse me. Oh, I don't know. Definitely not March. I think that that would make him like look like too much of an idiot. But and, I mean, <laughs> who knows? But I think before the summer, before the That's summer, funny, for sure. Because I'm literally scrolling through Twitter right now and there's uh, Kevin Carmichael. So he's like the BOC whisperer. Oh, he's uh, good. He's good. He's a good read. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's obviously in cahoots, I think with the, with the BOC, but, uh, you know, he, he literally just posted, a uh, an article, um, it says quote is the headline says Tiff Macklem is sticking with rate hike pause despite blow jobs, not report dot, dot, dot for now. Uh, so yeah. I and think, I think uh, that's, I think that's right. Cause you know, they, yeah. cause one of the messages they, he, they gave us last time was that, they feel because remember it's it's hard, guys, right? You you hike rates; is, it takes several quarters for it to to start to bite. And they they feel now that they've done enough, and they want to see how the economy will react to it. So I don't think they'll if if they swing that quickly you know, for one month, like Eric Rich suggested. Um, you know that I, I <laughs> that's going to be very difficult for him to. But you think he wears a visor? I wouldn't think so. Back in my yeah. days, we didn't even wear helmets. Yeah, okay. We, we well, played, nowadays right? visors are mand mand mandatory, even in the NHL. So that's uh, that's that was where I was alluding to. But I think it's important that we like not to like harp on this point because I think we just we've called it spot on, and I guess it's a little bit boring to take our own victory lap. But when you have population growth of two point two five percent, that basically means that you're. I mean that that's that is what they're fighting. He's paddling up 
upstream to use another Canadian euphemism. I mean, he's paddling upstream and un until that number either um, like, you know, moderates, whether it's through policy or whether it's through our economy doing badly and people not wanting to come here. I mean, that's happened before. I think someone shared a really cool chart with me about the the, the mid thirties when our population growth actually shrank to almost zero um, because of the economy not doing well. I mean, it's it's just the situation where this is why I think in hindsight, I think the, the calling it the victory lap was so dumb because he's got this data too. You know, you you have this population growth smashing, just absolutely breaking records. And it's all through immigration, which is the other thing that I think is really interesting. So you literally just have more people chasing after a finite number of goods, which is, you know, back to the housing situation, which is probably maybe put a floor under housing. But, you, you know, that the definition of inflation in, in, you know, in first principles is, you know, a finite number of, of goods being chased after an increasing amount of money. And how do you generate that extra money to chase after those finite goods is you just increase your population um, significantly. Um, and, and so that's why I think it's really kind of interesting that given that background um, that he was so kind of smug about it. But. it was so actually, the, the percentage ahead, of the country who works, what is it, around 40 percent? Sorry, what's the percentage of the population that, that is working? No, participation rates are are low ish. I think it's 65. 64, 65. No, but that's a people who can work. But the percentage of the population who can actually work is not so that the employment high. ratio because you got old people, you have students and, and all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? So I can't remember the point, employment ratio, but it, it's it's not, it's not that low. It's not 40. I'll have to check. My point is that, though, if you have two and a half percent population growth, I imagine the percentage of that two and a half who are going to be working is is quite higher than very high. Immigrants have a much higher we, participation rate than than yeah. So that yeah, absolutely. So that would support you know the the view or or thinking that you know it is driving it up. But it's it's a very aggressive number, and we'll do it again next month. Maybe we should switch the Twinkie bet to the employment. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> we, we, we'd be stacking on the pounds. So, years ago, when I was, it's pretty unpredictable. When I was uh, offshore for a while, uh, we like the our big bet every month was the non farm payroll number for to the US equivalent. Yeah, we of, used of to do number. that too. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the guy furthest away had to, had to pay up to the guy who was the closest. And the, uh, the comp was, was a pint. At the uh, anyone knows Bermuda it was the Hog Penny. It was, which conveniently was literally about twenty five paces away from our desk. That's how close it was. And uh, but you're always accumulating all these pints. The funny thing was we had we had several different investment teams there, and and the bond guys who follow economics more than anybody, they were wrong the most. <laughs> <laughs> they were never uh, never. Maybe they just liked their beer. Big what do you imply? One guy, did. What do you, one guy you was very good. My other guy, my other friend Scott from Winnipeg, who we heard of before, he uh, he intentionally would get it wrong, so then he'd have someone to hang out with. Scott from Winnipeg is pretty famous after the Vancouver Live event. Uh, he was, yeah, he still is. He still is famous. Yeah. He's okay, so we got the Canadian that. jobs data. Now we know well, that just, the bank. Yeah, just to kind of summarize, uh, you know, summarize Rich's comments there on the immigration side. There was actually a report out uh, this week from CIBC's Benjamin Tao. I mean, I don't think you know we certainly have our disagreements with a lot of the Canadian economists, um, but I think Benny Tao, I think, is really well respected, and I think he's he's pretty concise. Uh, so he put out a report basically saying. Um, 
you know, the, the Canadian government's targeting 485,000, you know, new permanent residents. And so, you know, cities and municipalities and pr- uh, provinces are trying to build housing f- based on that number. But, you know, he says, listen, like, you know, we're not calculating uh, all the foreign workers, all the temporary people that are here. And so he says that number uh, hit about 850,000 people last year in 2022. And, you know, he says by his calculations, I mean, that could hit a million people in 2023. And so that's, you know, he argued that's, that's what we should be basing our housing supply targets off of. Uh, so it's really interesting because when you really, you know, factor in really what's been happening in the housing market, while, you know, while there may be signs that we may be bottoming or we may not be, the reality is that developers uh, have been curtailing new housing supply. Uh, it's obviously extremely difficult to get financing. It's a lot more expensive. You know, we talked about the one of the large developers here in Vancouver blowing up into smithereens, uh, you know, last week. And so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting because I think we're setting ourselves up. If we continue down this course over the next four or five years, you know, pulling in a million people a year, that uh and, and development slows you're gonna have a <laughs> you're gonna have a continued housing housing crisis um so it, it'll be interesting but i mean i think hopefully the the federal government's listening to this and and gonna enact some sensible policy they probably won't be but uh and, and maybe a lot of them might need a, a portfolio manager along the way you never know right I was told in no uncertain terms that somebody was going to solve the housing crisis. So I, I for one, am quite disappointed that that hasn't happened yet. Which is quite interesting. Could you guys see the story floating around yesterday or or today about our prime minister? So the, um, actually, Richard, from your side. Oh, was it him? Was it him who said that? Oh, sorry. I didn't realize it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But from your side of of the the pond. The aisle, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, the, the got- gist of it is this, this guy who predicted or forecast that the the Kiwi prime minister would resign. It did happen. And then, was it yesterday that the Scottish uh, yeah, the Nicholas, minister- Yeah, Nicholas Sturgeon, the, the, the first minister of Scotland. First minister, okay, she's gone. But in the article that came out today, it's in the Telegraph. It's an opinion. It's an editorial, of course. Uh, but he in that, he's specifically saying Trudeau is next. He's the next guy to get excused from his from his party. So maybe we'll have some um, some political volatility coming up here in Canada, which could have an effect on on this immigration flows coming in into the country and and other things. But that that's something now that uh, so again that that's news that's out there. Everyone is will be tracking this closely. I'm sure he'll be asked the question. If he comes on the loony hour, we will certainly ask him that that question. I know Steve will, but we'll all political colors are welcome on the podcast. I mean, I can't speak to what's going to happen to Justin Trudeau's political career, but I can tell you to just round that this out, the information out for our listeners that the participation rate in Canada, um, which is sort of, you know, like the what is the participation rate? Uh Oh, I screwed this up, which is like the labor force relative to the number of people actually Employed, I think. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I cocked this up. This is a huge mistake on my part. But the, the, cut, the cut. <laughs> Rich on a uh, breakaway and it just oh, trickles off his no. stick. Um, the visor, man. Take off the visor. You'll see the puck better. So the participation rate in Canada is 66% roughly, and the um, number of people employed relative to the total number of people is right now. 
um, about 51%. And that's been flat for since 2005. So we can share that's that chart. In. Close to 40. N no, it's not. <laughs> Anyways, that's, so that, that was the number. Um, okay, so let's, let's quickly then shift over to the Bank of Canada, because I think, Steve, you mentioned that, you know, the... Um, they're just recently it was the expectation that they'll be cutting rates, you know, towards the end of the year. So and right now it's flat. Now those rate cuts are gone. Now we're yes. flat forever. You've got the Bloomberg terminal over there, sir. But uh it's right there. I'm pointing at it. The OIS, <laughs> what was it? Were they pricing in two cuts uh for for 2023? Now they're pricing in, I think they're pricing in what 70% odds now of one hike in uh one hike this year now. Uh, no, 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 no more hikes. We're we're done. So they're still hikes. pricing no hikes. I guess. Well, no, we, we could get twenty five basis points, yeah. maybe by by that's April. What I meant, yeah. yeah. So there's a fifty. Uh, there's a fifty percent chance we'll get a hike in April. Okay. 50, but I mean, the reality is, is that you know we've we're now dismissing the idea that we'll get a rate hike. So again, Keith, to your earlier point, right? I mean, you talked about. You know, we've tried going back and forth on the housing market here, and it's only the people that have really bought in the last, you know, 18 months that are sort of feeling a bit of the pain. But hey, I mean, people stuck on these variable rate mortgages, um, it seems like there's not going to be any relief on that front for the foreseeable future. You could be dealing with high payments um, for another who knows, 12 months? So when do you get your next, when do you get your first rate cut from the BOC? Clearly the markets are pushing it out. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's just, these rate hikes are still, I think still going to bite. Um, the record levels of household indebtedness hasn't necessarily It just keeps coming back then, to, you know, the easiest way to measure the the potential strength of your economy like is aggregate spending. You know, it's, it's not what, you can spend or what Steve can spend and, and stuff like that. It's uh, you know, from an aggregate basis. So on an aggregate basis, if people are allocating more of their discretionary income towards the mortgage payment, it means there's less money to spend elsewhere. So the only way for the economy to grow is by our government cutting taxes, which we're very confident they will or will not do. They're, they're not cutting taxes, guys. That, that's not happening. Yeah. So, happening. you know, therefore we need, uh, you know, wage wage growth, you know, increases and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. I've been, I've been tracking a lot of the universities now across the country. Um, you know, those with their their labor agreements or the cycles are, are coming up. And it's, it's interesting to see what they're agreeing to. So the wage hikes are range between like one to two percent. Like it's not enormous here. You know, they're all asking for four or five and six, and that that's clearly not happening. But you know, we're not going to get enough wage increases, you know, to offset that that movement and um, the, the impact of higher mortgage rates. Which means, of course, if the population is growing and more people are are working, then it will will help out that way. But I, I think, though, uh, we you know we keep coming back to what's happening with, with the economy here, and um, you know we've said before that, that the risk with Canada is likely from coming from outside of Canada that that's where it will emanate from, and so you know we continue to hold that view. So I mean, so right now, if we're going to get a successful recovery 
not only for the Canadian economy, but, you know, for the Americans and, and Europeans everywhere else, um, you know, we're looking for, we, we want the Chinese recovery to be very strong. And right now, what initially started out is the hope was, you know, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And Rich, hope is not a good strategy when it comes to, to markets. <laughs> or maybe for dating, it's a good strategy. <laughs> I hope oh, man. that was yeah. a layup. That was a layup. I know you can, that, you see, can, you can do better than that, Boomer. <laughs> when you don't have a visor on, you can see things more clearly. It's it's easy, <laughs> right? Steve didn't wear a visor when you played. I got the no. I definitely wore a visor. I'm 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 pretty soft. He definitely wore. Look how handsome he is. He had to wear That's one. Right. That's why he's still. Keith, were you a fighter? Little uh, little little guy out there. No, I was water than that. I was best friends with the biggest guy on the ice, so I didn't have to worry about those things. Yeah. He actually went on to play for the Canadian national rugby team, like four World Cups. This guy's a rock star in the rugby world. And I, I just covered in his shadow. I didn't have to worry about those things. See, I was smart back then, too. Um, but back to the Chinese recovery, you, we need that to be sustained. And um, right now, there's a lot of it's funny things happening within China right now. Uh, a lot of them. So this blanket statement that they opened their economy, they're going to start growing again. You have to remember that the Chinese economy grew based on debt growth. That that's, There's no Chinese miracle. None of this Asian miracle. It's all driven by debt. And one thing the Chinese government are, are very focused on right now is ensuring that the housing bubble doesn't continue to get bigger and then, then break. So lending to the household or the housing sector is, is very low. The growth is is almost negative at this point. So instead, corporations can can borrow quite a bit, but they have a very sort of like every economy, like is is imbalanced. That's the way to look at it. But we need the Chinese economy to uh, recovery the take hold, and then that will help with commodity prices as well. Of course, um, we need to see the world have a de escalation in geopolitics so specifically you, you want the war with ukraine or russia you want that to, to slow down um and then also um we, it, this is rich's favorite one we need inflation data to, to come down to a reasonable number you know that's acceptable and so if we clear those three hurdles then yeah it, it's going to be awesome again Ski, so isn't the, add, uh, I, oh sorry go ahead isn't the PBOC pumping liquidity through the system right now? You beat me too. Well, they're really, I, I don't know if anyone noticed, um, like over the last three weeks or so, or four weeks, the, um, so the CNY, or Chinese currency, whatever you want to call it, CNY or CNH, depending on which one you're looking at, and Hong Kong dollar as well, they, they, they've both been depreciating during a period when the US dollar was depreciating as well around the world. So there, there's a lot of dollar outflows coming out of the, the combination of Hong Kong and, and China right now. So that that's something to be, that's something you want to watch significantly. Uh, people know that story well enough. If, if you're following it, it may not happen. But if, if they were to relax either one of those pegs, because the Chinese currency has a bit of a soft peg, you know, they'll, they don't tell anyone what it is, but they'll sort of massage it. Um, but there, there is something foot over. They, they, they need foreign currency quite a bit. So we'll see. Maybe that's the kind of event that would, uh, you know, spread elsewhere. So what I wanted to add was that the PBOC is one of the only 
is if I I'm pretty sure is the only major central bank. So the People's Bank of China is the only major central bank that has cut in the last let's say twelve or twenty four months. Their um they've their stated goal is to provide ample liquidity. Money supply um, growth is twelve plus percent, which is the highest it's been in a long, long time, uh, maybe a couple of years now. Um, bank corporate bank lending, and as Keith mentioned, is starting to rise um, after falling to. I mean, I want to look at right now. Jesus, almost ten year lows um, at the beginning of twenty twenty two. You see, bank lending growth is starting to, to to creep up, and and interestingly, you're right, um, Steve, that the central bank. Um, has basically started to accumulate assets. So what does that mean? It's starting to basically print money again. Although unlike in the West, where you have central bank assets as a percent of GDP in the 30s and 40s and whatever it is, central uh, China did not print money in the same way as the rest of the, the Western central banks did over the past eight years. Um, so they have very, very little um, central bank assets as a percentage of GDP. That's you know. But it, what, what, what the point I wanted to make really though is what's what we what started as you know Keith mentioned hopium not being a good strategy. The market is often like you know succumbs to hopium, and when China did open up, all of the industrial metals um, and a bunch of tech stuff just lit up. And now you've seen an absolute reversal in a bunch of those things. So just to read off. All of the following metals are have fallen more than 6% in the last two weeks. Cobalt, palladium, nickel, zinc, uh, tin. Um, so nickel, tin, and zinc are used in steel and all that kind of stuff. Um, steel rebar is down 3%. Uh, silver is down 8%. Palladium, platinum, all that stuff is used in like high, uh, either in catalytic converters or high-tech uh, stuff. Then there's like um, rhodinium. Rhodinium is the only metal that's up basically in the last two weeks. And it's that's a crazy, crazy move, right? So you had a huge, huge rise because everybody's like, oh, it's it things it's on in China. And then it's sort of a collapse really just a couple of weeks later. And then I would remind everybody that the PMI is my favorite. The diffusion index of both in, in, in China is 47, which is quite low. Um, so it's, it's, it's just it's not going to happen as quickly as I think the market sort of expected. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and reverberates through the rest of the world. So what's the takeaway here? The reflation trade is hope. I mean, I think it's different. I think you have to split it up. I think you have to split it up between Europe, US, and China. And China, I think the reflation trade is going to take way, way, way longer. I think the US, I, we, I've mentioned it over and over again, the US consumer is is cashed up, unlevered. And if inflation and their houses are not a factor, and I think the spending from there, we're going to get into retail sales, maybe we should get into now, is going to continue to surprise people. And then Europe is the irrelevant guy sort of in the middle where it's dealing with super high natural gas prices. Natural gas prices are five, six X what they are in the US. Um, and they're also a much more export oriented economy. So they're much more dependent on what's going on in China. And so it's, it's you know, I think that those are sort of the three stages right now. So, but I, I think, if the, and that's why I continue to write in my notes, even though I've been wrong for the last month, that I don't buy the the growth over versus value rotation. I think that the value um, and all those defensive plays still have a long way to go. Heath? If we are going to have this soft landing and a recovery, uh, you're going to see this severely inverted yield curve start to correct itself. So it's either going to correct with overnight rates coming down, 
which that won't happen because there's a recovery taking place. So instead, you'll have the 10-year and the long bond start selling off, uh, which acts as an automatic uh, anchor back on the housing market up here. So <laughs> tighter financial first- conditions, tighter financial conditions. Well, I mean, you can have spreads can can tighten, which is good. But if you all of a sudden you have the five and ten year rate moving higher again, you know, because we're not moving into a recession, um, I, I I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a buyer yet of this strong recovery story. I think there's just a lot of a lot of cash flows or moving around from oversold and and overbought markets, and that, that's what's pushed things around here now and into the middle of February. Um, but I also, though, I, I am I am concerned about geopolitics and how how that might develop as we continue to move along here. And and again, I keep going back to this the situation with Ukraine that you don't hear anybody that wants peace. So then, by default, it means they want war. So which by default means you know this something will will happen here coming up and if that happens and that's the trigger point which will create this once again this risk off move but there, there's lots of things lined up here to have a, a very dramatic move and um you know the whole idea that it's this you know, super strong recovery that the central banks did the uh what is it the, the two-point landing 10 point what do they call it when you come off 10 point you, 10 point landing Cut your toes? Is that what it is? 10 points? <laughs> I think it's because that's the most you can offer to a uh, competitor when they're doing like, you know, the they spin off the, the palm. What is it called? The pommel horse or something? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was six. I thought it was a factor of six. No. Remember that lady from Montreal 1976 Olympics got 10 perfect score of 10, 10, 10. Nadia Komonich, I think is her name. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was... Uh... She wasn't Russian. She was Czech, I think, wasn't she? I think she was no, Romanian. Romanian, yeah. Romanian. Yeah, she, yeah absolutely. Uh, see you see what you're learning stuff. here on the Looney Hour? Isn't it just incredible stuff that we we go through? So, Which wasn't even born back then, by the way. But that was the uh, that was the Sugar Ray Leonard Olympics, right? It was the 76 one in Montreal. Uh, that's my only my only the only two things I know about the Montreal Olympics is that we we it took uh, Montreal 30 years to pay for the damn Olympic Stadium, whose roof never opened. And Nadia Comaneci got a perfect 10. Those are the, that's, the, that's all you anyway, need we should, to know. That's right. That's all we need to know. We should move on. This is, we should move on. So, uh, but Rich, let's go you, back to her third event. The one that. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you've been uh, framing up, um, you know, in your, in your writings there, the, you know, inflation is going to be stickier than, than, you know, many people are expecting. And you've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. And obviously it seems like the market's actually, you know, recently come around to that view as well. Um, you know, we've seen this resurgence higher in, in bond yields and, you know, we're seeing, uh, we had the recent data from the U S uh, CPI as well. I don't know if you want to walk us through some of that CPI. We also had PPI data, uh, producers price index data in the U S today. So I don't know if you want to quickly walk us through that because I think it is more or less confirming what, what you've been calling anyways. Well, I just think it's, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I don't, you know, I try very hard to predict the future and I definitely got a few things wrong. I just think in general, the market got too aggressive on the inflation coming down to 2% thing. And I think that that was reflected in the Fed funds rate hike expectations, which have now corrected as, as you, you, you pointed out, that's happening in the bond market a little bit. We'll see. 
but anyway, the headline inflation um, didn't fall as much as expected. Remember, it's always about expectations versus reality. I know it's kind of technically and kind of annoying sometimes, but core um, fell by 0.4%. Headline, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. Core rose by 0.4%. Headline rose by 0.5%. I think uh, quite a bit more was expected. Um, and then, in, so now we're at headline is at 6.3 in the US and 5.5. Um, the, I always, as always, just like the Canada, we always look at the components. So what fell the most was, or out, out of the major components was used cars and trucks and virtually all the other components rose month on month. Now that could be sort of a function of seasonality. You know, you can't take the month on month stuff too, too seriously, but it's good to get you sort of a, just for a feel of what's going on. So energy services rose energy commodities. So there's services and commodities. They split those up. Um, those rose by three and 0.4 and 2.4, uh, 2.7%. Um, you know, things like food at home rose near by nearly 1% services, which is the key with this is the lion's share of most people's consumption basket rose by 0.8% um, month on month. Those big numbers, um, you know, again, as always, the thing that I keep on harping to, and I have done for now almost three years is the shelter component does not seem to be slowing down yet. Um, the shelter component rose um, again. I think it was zero point seven percent. Again, as we always talk about, it's you know forty odd percent of the core basket, and now it's at seven point nine percent, and core is at five point five. So until you get that shelter component, like it, hate it, whatever, um, it, it you know you're not it, the math doesn't square. You you need to have if it's forty percent of your basket, that means you need the sixty percent that's not shelter to be significantly below that 2% number or, you know, your math doesn't sort of add up, right? We're talking about weighted averages here. We're talking about sort of a target. And, and if you don't get the, those other components to play ball, you're, you're, it's not going to work out. And that's why things like used cars and trucks are so fascinating. We had a huge, huge contribution in the middle of 2021, 22. And now that contribution has gone back down to zero. And I, my point that I, I, I will make is that, you know, your contribution won't be significant drag either. It'll just go back to its long-term average, which is basically zero because it's such a small component. So we'll see. I mean, we saw the retail sales in the US do really, really well. Consumer confidence is starting to, to bottom out because inflation has stopped falling. Um, I think that there's, it's sort of a main street versus wall street thing that I think we're, we're starting to really see play out where you have the main street, which is, you know, strong employment growth, you know, decent real, uh, real wages, um, you know, you have job shortages are still strong. The jolts thing, which I could never remember what the damn acronym is. Um, that's really strong. Um, consumer confidence rebound housing with, I know people are on and on about that. I just don't think it's as big a deal. Whereas you have main street, which is under pressure from crappy earnings under margins are getting squeezed. Um, industrial production is weakening. And as we said, we always say the labor market is the lagging indicator. It's, it'll be the last sort of penny to drop. Um, but that's, that's my wrap on the U.S. Um, Keith, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, lots of things that you missed. Um, <laughs> so, the, <laughs> uh, so let's just reset here. So before this data came out this week, remember we had basically all the central banks, they went from being hawkish to either less hawkish or they're, they're pausing. You know, they, they, they've done that pivot. So the Canadians did it, the Europeans did it. I UK the Brits did the Brits do ish, it as well? Ish, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. 
And everyone thought, you know, the Americans were going to do it as well. And remember, the U.S. Federal Reserve is the most important central bank on the planet, is the most important economy, the most important borrower and, and, and all that stuff. Everything, it's a U.S. dollar world and, you know, we're just living in it. Um, and the expectation was that, you know, the Fed were going to do maybe another quarter point or maybe even a half a point. But you, you could see the vision out there that, you know, they were also coming to that end. And, um, you know, every now, you know, you hear Powell speak and it, it would drive me nuts. I don't know if I said it on, on our podcast. Was yeah, another you mentioned one, it last week as well. Yeah. Like you listen to his, if you read his words, you're just thinking, man, he's hawkish. He's hawkish, anything. But then you listen to him say those words. He's like, you know, Barry Manilow singing <laughs> hawkish. It just, it just doesn't have the same effect, right? But then the, the data, though, it's still supporting, was giving the, the Fed support or data to continue being hawkish and that they will continue to raise rates. And there's another big uh, personnel move or HR oh, move. Oh, yeah, that's right. That happened at, at the Fed this week. So uh, Lael Brainerd, is that how you pronounce her surname? Yeah, Brain, Brainerd. Brainerd? I know, I, Brainerd, I okay. Uh, so she was basically, you know, she was put onto the Fed as, you know, to be Powell's, you know, re replacement effectively. And, uh, you know, and so there's a lot, I know there's a lot of infighting taking place at the Fed, you have the power struggle taking place. And then you also have the fighting taking place between the Fed and, and the Treasury, because uh, the Treasury is aligned with the White House. It's a political appointment and the Fed is supposed to be neutral and, and all that. But uh, Brainerd now, has just been recalled back to the White House. So I think she's now going to be the top economic advisor at the White House. So she's now been yanked out of the Fed. And because she's leaving or has already left, it means that there's now an opening seat, which is going to become a temporary holding until they get the, the new permanent one, not permanent, well, the rotation seat coming in. And that is, uh, oh, it's Loretta Mester, or Meister, I don't know her surname. I think she's with the Cleveland Fed. And um, when you come, now all of a sudden she becomes a voting member and she is as, as hawkish as you can ever draw up. Yes, you in the front row. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Keith, but you forgot to mention that Brainard is a super dove. Yes, uh, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you had the, the dovish voice is now gone and is being replaced by a... Hawkish Hawk. voice. Did I get that right? Yeah. I think so, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So now it's, you know, she was out on the airwaves this morning and you know, doing all you know kinds of stuff. But it, it's now setting up the opportunity for the Fed to continue to be hawkish, which means more rate hikes. Um, the the COT data, commitment of, of trader report, that shows who's short, you know, whatever markets and stuff. Uh, there were a lot of people who were short the dollar recently that that's why it was it was weakening the first part of january because they're so strong last year right you just get that pendulum swinging back and forth uh so the, the move has been set up here now for the dollar just to slingshot higher again and it's gonna be on the base that you know the fed will, will continue to raise rates more than what's expected and you know everyone else is sort of sitting still you know on, on, on the rate side and we will sort of flip back to the whole chinese hong kong um dilemma they have every time the fed raises rates it actually tightens the economy for both china and hong kong because they're 
their monetary policy is 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 pegged to the Fed because of the whole the currency impact of it. So it's so it's a very big move this week with with that taking place. And uh, I think right now we're sort of back in this middle of no man's land. We've gone from we're definitely having this recession to oh it's a soft landing. Now we're gonna you know slowly go back to you know maybe it's 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 worse. You know it's 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 a soft landing, but with inflation still taking hold and employment not growing and all that stuff, I, I think it's 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 become rather interesting, Steve. Yeah, I think it is. I think. Uh... You know, it's it. I think it's a tough market to really square right now. It's like you know, what's what's the outcome going to be? And you can see, like, you know, everyone betting on on where interest rates are going to be, like flip flopping. Uh, it seems like on a, on a weekly weekly basis. I think the volatility uh, in the bond market is really interesting. Rich, what's the? Uh, I don't know if you have it handy in front of you, like you know, just the the move index, the bond market volatility index. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's got to be. Excellent question. Um, something to talk about a lot. Um, it, it fell. So, I mean, it's an index. So it's really hard to make square with these dumb numbers mean, right? It was at 150. It was, you know, for the last four years, it was at one, it was at 60. So it's like, you can't quite say that the volatility doubled, but for the sake of this conversation, let's just say so. Volatility doubled, um, which was very, very high as interest rates all went up and it came down as, you know, the last, you know, four months or so it's been, it's been way down, but last week has seen it start to creep back up again, which I think is kind of interesting. It it's obviously reflects higher bond yields. I don't know what's happening with spreads. We can ask Keith what's going on with there. What I think is really interesting is the the, the VIX volatility index. There's a VDAX for the Euro stocks. There's, you know, um, I think there's like a V topics or whatever. There's volatility indexes that are for all major in, um, index equity. Index. That just continues to be stapled down to, so it's at 18 now, which is, you know, basically bang on <clears throat> its long-term average. And that to me is the one that, that I find. So you're right, Steve, um, well, I find interesting. You're right, Steve, to point out that the move index is creeping higher after sort of coming down quite a bit. But it's that VIX volatility index that I find just sort of fascinating. It just, it just won't go up. I don't, I don't know why. Keith, what are your thoughts? I have no other thoughts. I have a comment, observation. <laughs> Nothing to do uh -oh. with, with it has uh -oh. your wisdom. I, oh, I like no. I like everything. You know, I'm a well-rounded individual. I'm, you know, I'm like that. In uh, your mansion. Yeah, in my mansion. <laughs> uh Diane Feinstein. Feinstein? What's Feinstein. her name? Feinstein? Feinstein. She's announced she is not going to run for re-election again. She's a senator, so, right? Yeah, yeah. She was in the swamp for 30 years. Amazing. She went in, went in poor. Her current estimated net worth is 200 million. Man, how do we get into the swamp? I know exactly how to get into the swamp. Somebody in America, God love those people, created an ETF that will track the trades, the machinations of the Congress, so that's both houses, senators and Congress uh, and uh, upper house and lower house, and it's called NANC. So N A N C. So this is not investment advice, but it's <laughs> and, and so and that's basically for Nancy Pelosi, obviously, who is um, 
basically just amazing at front running all kinds of legislation with her trade book. I hope I'd, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> uh, so that's exactly how you, if you want to, instead of getting in the swamp, why don't you, you can not investment advice buy the ETF that tracks all of their trades. It's just genius. It's just, you gotta, gotta love it. You gotta hand it to these people who do that kind of stuff. It's, it, I just love this stuff. It's rated, it's rated in our faces and <laughs> yeah, you know, some folks lost some money. Who cares? Yeah, that's all we great. can do. Yeah, I mean, I think she sold something like three million shares worth of Google like four or five days before they announced that they were going to sue Google for antitrust violations. <laughs> that's unreal. It's it's a good one. It's a, anyway. Yeah, like everyone else, allegedly, there, you know, working two or three <laughs> jobs. And uh, anyway, I just I just find this stuff you know fascinating. And we didn't talk about the UFO story this week. You know, UFOs are invading oh. Canada. Oh, shoot, shooting down everything these days. Oh, jeez, is that, is that yeah. what we've descended to? There's, there's no, lots I of think, stuff. I know. I think what's more interesting is like, why am I reading this now? Like, you know what I mean? Like, the idea of like, why is this becoming front page news story is is more interesting. Like, the narrative and the story is building uh, around you know these geopolitical tensions. You know, so I think that's really the well, takeaway here. It's just here. it's distractions, right? I mean that yeah. that's what it is, and it it's it's happening. And uh, you know, I, I I'd laugh at it. You know, with you know uh, one of my friends on Twitter who's he's pretty sharp. <laughs> Let's say, oh, uh, UFOs are in, and the F sixteen shot it down. He's saying, guys, if you really think it was a UFO and they traveled all the way across the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. You think they might be able to avoid an F-16 like missile coming at them. But, uh, but you know, but just sort of square the peg though. When, when there's a lot of that happening, because it, it picks up, the media are picking it up, like everyone's commenting on it. And even CNN went with the story that maybe it is UFO. So oh, if, boy. <laughs> children, if you're watching CNN, you might want to change the channel. Um, Turn it off. But to be serious with this, uh, and again, from, from our perspective, th this is, it's served as a distraction to something else that, that, that's happening out there. So it's not just a random event. It's happening at once. Uh, remember that this is getting airplay for a reason. And maybe it's economic related. Maybe it's another reason related. But uh, don't be the least bit surprised if, there are other things happening behind the scenes right now, and they they come out now in, in the near, the near future, okay. you know, down the road. Keith, Keith doesn't speak for me, but uh, you know, I think that you know it's Oakham's razor. Razor, what is it? Um, the dumbest answer is usually the right one. <laughs> um, I mean, it could just be that. It's just what happens when you have two superpowers that are going to spend the next 50 years fighting each other tit for tat. It's spy versus spy out of the Mad Magazine, and this is just the beginning of it. If you don't think America is spying on China with their, you know, bombers and et cetera, et cetera, I can't believe we're going down this road. The U.S. has got their own balloons here. flying over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. That, thank you, Steve. That's my point. I mean, you know.
I think the more I think what's amazing is that no one's talking about the basically the worst environmental disaster in American history. I mean, talk about being distracted. I mean, what's going basically what has happened and and there's an oil spill. I think it's in East Palestine, Ohio, I think, if I'm not mistaken. You're going to get the loony hour kicked off the the airwaves. (laughs) I mean, it's just absolutely it's it's really sad and quite amazing um, given how much I think all this. I mean, these chemicals are used in in our daily lives and we need them, whether they're petrochemicals or acids or bases and all this other stuff. They should be treated, handled with care. Obviously, these ones weren't. And I think basically an entire city has been wiped off. The uh, entire town has been basically wiped off the map. It's really, really quite sad. So definitely look at that. You won't find it anywhere, but you did hear it on the loony hour. No, a lot of things. I do not want to position the loony hour in that direction, boys. Let's stick to economics. The I, Bank I, of Mexico rose raise uh, rates more than expected. <laughs> I do have one uh, one piece here. I think we should just quickly chat on. We'll wrap the show up here. But there was a good tweet from uh, Ed Harrison. He used to be with Real Vision. I don't know who he's with now, but he wrote that financial conditions are loose enough that we may have to consider whether the interest income channel of monetary policy transmission has become dominant. So basically what he means by that is that, uh, you know, the, the interest that's being generated now on, let's say savings is actually adding to stimulus uh, to the economy. Which it's, is it's a real good point. Um, you guys may not know, but, but Ed, Ed was one of the first guys to start a, a blog basically uh, he did it back in, in the O. So it's called credit write downs. I don't know if he's still doing it or not. Yeah, I don't know, but he's 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 out there. He's quite a popular he, follow. Yeah, he's he's a he's a sharp guy. And um so you think about it, we we had over a decade where you know you you call it um uh, it's it, it, so a basically savers were were bailing out investors. Okay, so you we weren't getting paid anything on our cash balances. So the little old lady was basically bailing out, you know, everyone else, so to speak. So we've had that for over a decade, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're getting paid money on cash. I mean, we're seeing it like for our business, for example, we're before you got paid nothing to hold cash, so you had to make that decision: do you want to take an investment risk where you could lose capital on that allocation, or hold it and get paid nothing, but at least you know hold the capital? And now, like we're able to. You know, everyone now you're able to pick up four and a half, five percent, maybe like on, on a cash overnight cash product, which, which is great. So it, which is providing a lot of uh, stimulus, Steve, you're, you're right into the economy. Uh, the other thing that's happening now as well, guys, um, you know, that in down, we'll use the U.S. as an example. You know, they're, they're doing quantitative tightening, of course, but the the Treasury, uh, the Treasury General account, I think it is, is that the Fed? That that's that's being drained by the Treasury right now, so that's offsetting the tightening that the Fed is doing. So even though the Fed are raising rates and they're doing QT, it, it is being offset by other factors at the Treasury, and, and that's being driven by you know the, the debt ceiling conversations that are taking place. But you know the point is there's a lot of things happening on a daily basis here. That's not getting a lot of attention, except for the loony hour where you can hear about <laughs> that and other things like zooming around oh. in the sky. We should call ourselves the serious hour. Who's going to tune into that? Uh, no, that's true. That's a fair point. I mean, one thing, one more thing I think that's uh, you, we haven't talked enough about is the bank. Li- not only is the treasury providing liquidity and sort of offsetting a lot of what's going on with the quantitative tightening, but so are just plain old banks. Bank lending just continues to tick along. It's sure it's off its highs year on year, but banks are strong. Um, they're, they're, well, in the US, sorry, be very, very clear. 
in the US and bank lending continues to tick along. But back on the back, one last thing, Keith, on, on your savings point, excuse me, Steve, on your savings point, which I think is really, really interesting. I just wanted to hearken back to when I mentioned this several weeks ago, when I said that the checkable, the amount of savings, it's not the savings rate that matters. That's a flow. What matters is the stock of savings. And, and the stock of savings is at the highest it's been relative to unsecured or short-term debt since 1971. And so not only is are you so not only do people have way more savings in their bank account relative to basically the last 50 or 60 or years or whatever, but you're also getting paid 5% to hold those. And so that's another thing that's going to offset some of this negativity we may see. And also just again points to even higher rates for longer. I think that's sort of the moral of the story, I think from my perspective anyway. Yeah. And I, just to add to that too, I don't know if you guys follow um, Professor Richard Werner. Uh, so he was the author of Princes of the Yen. There's actually a YouTube video. It's about an hour long. So you can go on YouTube, Princes of the Yen. Uh, but he was basically the economist that coined the original term of QE, quantitative easing. Um, so and he's written lots of papers about you know how money is created, how banks create money and lend it into the economy. So really, really smart guy in that aspect. And he's been arguing on Twitter and in a bunch of interviews and stuff that you know interest rates, raising interest rates to fight inflation is it's, it's not really the main mechanism um, that is is going to squash inflation. It's, he argues it's credit creation. Uh, interest rates follow the rate of growth in the economy and and growth is created by new credit creation. And so he argues that, you know, you have to get bank lending down uh, in order to really squash growth and thus inflation. So, um, it, I mean, it continues to be the debate, right? I think that's the funny thing about, you know, markets and the financial economy is it's a very complicated, interconnected system that, Nobody really knows the answer to. We're all just here trying to piece it together. I have uh, something to share with you on the savings rate or the the stock in terms of uh, a couple of things. What I think that's severely distorted by people with a lot of savings. Totally because agree. I, I, I think a lot of a lot of households are literally living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, a lot of households don't have like a thousand bucks available in case something happened to them. Uh, the, the other, actually I actually have a, a piece here from uh, one of our research providers, Ned Davis Research. Uh, I, I can share it with you guys. Uh, they show the aggregate household savings for Canada, the Eurozone, the US and, and the UK. So it's back to the year 2000. And you know the, the stock went up to almost 2 trillion back during the pandemic. And now it's right back down to 700 billion again. So um, I, I think when you get see more current data coming out, this is across four major Western economies, and not, not just one, uh, you're going to see that that story has sort of played itself out as well. I disagree. I disagree, but that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, but, th- but again, that's that's the comment on on that. I know that's been used a lot. Say, hey, you know what? There's a ton of cash out there on the sidelines and, and stuff like that. I don't think it's as clear cut with that but narrative. I really isn't, don't. I think is that not just the you could chalk this up to the continuing widening of the wealth gap, which is like 
the wealthy you're you know that's if you're in the top 30 40 percent you're doing pretty well and if you're in the bottom 50s it's just this gap and then you know it's interesting like you know bloomberg just had an article out uh was it today or yesterday about you know how new cars are becoming a luxury item that you know the total volume of car sales is actually down but you know their profits are up because they're building more expensive higher-end cars and people are you know the wealthier that have the money are willing to pay for them and and uh it's been a good business model for for these automakers and so i mean you can make the same argument for housing i mean it's become an, an a, a, it hasn't become shelter it's become an asset class for the wealthy and um yeah but it, it, it might not matter i know it sounds really horrible but you know maybe this is we're opening up a can of worms at the end of our show and we'll, maybe we can get into this some other time but it may not matter that it you know there's inequality has grown some of the countries with the highest amount of inequality actually have very high pro um, productivity growth rates. Some countries like Canada, that has a not necessarily a high Gini coefficient, which is the measure by which you assess income inequality, have really terrible productivity growth. And what matters ultimately is productivity growth. The other thing is what also matters is aggregate demand. And if you have a bunch of really rich people generating enormous amounts of returns and spending and are employed and whatever it is, it might, it can, and often does offset a bunch of very poor people not necessarily spending. So it's not necessarily clear that that's, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's I think it's too simplistic to say, well, you know, there's a, a distributional impact from that, that we need to, that, that's, that's like overwhelming the positives from those savings and the, the income that they generate. But I mean, again, that's like huge topic. So I, yeah, I, I just worry about my buddy Keith there getting a pitchfork in his back. So <laughs> Um, you know, why would I get a pitchfork in my back? Because you, you, uh, you know, the, the wealthy and uh, the social <laughs> frictions that are building, you know, they might come under your mansion and throw a pitchfork <laughs> through your window. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> uh, you want more taxes, from uh, me too. but um, it's but this conversation is very interesting. We'll, we'll talk about it some more, but you know, I, I like to, over the years, I, I've met a, a bunch of guys with accumulated a lot of wealth. And they'll say to you, like, it's only so much you can spend. I mean, that that's it. There's only so many steak dinners you can have. How many cars do you need or do you want and stuff like that? I I, I do know that the, the the wealth gap, it's enormous. And but you remember wealth measures assets, not not income. And I think that income gap is it's pretty severe. So I, I think that we are on this sort of precipice or this edge where if the economy does roll over, you know, I, I think it is going to be quite stressful for a lot of households, especially those that bought properties in, in the last year or 18 months. And that that's the risk that we have coming up. Can I just say one more thing? I mean, that's why some people like me rail against negative real interest rates. Because what that does basically is, as Keith alluded to, it shifts the amount from the shifts money from labor to capital and it has done for 10 years and that's why again people like me just are desperate for real interest rates to rise back above zero stay there solidly so that there isn't misallocations of capital into unproductive real estate assets so that people actually have to make tougher better investment decisions with their hard-earned money um, and they don't just play the leverage game 
um, which what is what you do when you have massively negative real interest rates. It's bad for. Any Are you time. saying real estate can be unproductive? <laughs> like Steve is on the call here. Get this guy Steve, off the show. Shut it down, man. That's enough. For shut this it week. down. This is this is he's gone shut too it far. Down. <laughs> Um, so I think that it is a good place to wrap it up. Uh, we won't get into the, the ability of governments to, to pay back their, their massive debt loads in, in the face of real interest rates. That's a conversation for another time. Um, but, uh, yeah, as always, we appreciate the, you know, appreciate the support of the Looney Hour here. We continue to build the Looney Hour community. All we ask is that you, uh, give us a little five-star review on Spotify, Apple podcast, share this episode with at least one friend or family member. And we'll see you next week.